Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, is TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and former Chelsea and West Ham and Benfica star, Scott Minto. This is what is coming up on the show. It's becoming a bit boring just talking about bloody rules all the time. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not that interesting. I mean, the Marcus Rashford thing, OK, you, none of us like the idea of it. None of us like the handballs. Totally get all of the, the protests. But we have to try and explain why those decisions are made. And that's really dull. I think they've got a lot of spirit, Luton. I really like the manager. I think they've got an identity. They've got a game plan as to how they might stay in the Premier League. And I think of the three newly promoted teams, they've got the best chance of doing so. But I think United have to win this game. Otherwise, the pressure is right on Eric Ten Hag heading into an international break. I think he knows deep down he's got to be careful. Because if, if Saka has a long-term injury, then as good as Arsenal are, and as good players as they've got, no one can quite replace him. Cole Palmer, I think he's been an excellent addition, not just in terms of his football skills, but I think his mentality is brilliant. Um, and I think if they are going to get any joy, Chelsea, then he's going to be central to it. And he's the type of character, isn't he, who's going to want to prove a point. Hello, gents. Europa League last night. Well done to West Ham United. Uh, they beat Olympiacos. Just Scott was there for that one. Uh, Brighton, best result in their history, according to Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, winning away at Ajax of Amsterdam. Liverpool left fuming after VAR controversy. Probably time to stop suggesting VAR in Europe is perfect. And well done to Aston Villa. Uh, they beat RZ. That was Thursday. Not so good in the Champions League for Newcastle and for Manchester United. Better for Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, one lesson that some of those teams, would, or one of those teams, would have taken into this weekend's game, Scott. Oh, cool. that's a question. One lesson they would have taken. Well, I was at West Ham last night and I, it was a really poor performance. Um, so the lesson, I think, is pretty much a standard lesson is if you don't play well, still find a way to to win a game. And, and, and almost Manchester United did the opposite. I thought they arguably had their best performance of the season. I, I worked on that one uh, with Jim Proudfoot at Talk Sport and yet somehow found a way to lose it. 
Yes, they did. Uh, played well for about 40 minutes in that game, I think, uh, before losing their heads. Um, West Ham United have got Nottingham Forest at the weekend, so they'll have to play better, especially as Forest have started to, to pick up a little bit after last weekend. Crookie, if there was one thing you noticed from this week's Europa uh, League football and Champions League football that a team can take into the weekend, what is it? Uh, I think it's that ex-players know football better uh, than a lot of people in the media because Scott was the lead voice suggesting that Marcus Rashford's red card isn't a sending off. Obviously, other people are quoting the rule book. I'm with Scott. I think it was a nonsense decision. You can go, you can go bigger than that, by the way. I, I heard, I was told by Jim that Paul Scholes and Owen Hargreaves um, agreed with me and therefore you, Crookie, but you know, up to you whether you want to discuss it now or not days after the event. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a brief one. I think you can give it in the rule book. I think the problem is, is you know what he's trying to do. He's trying to shield the ball, right? So he's trying to he's just trying to turn round, hold off the player who's coming behind him, but he puts his foot down on the leg of the defender, and because he's unaware of where he's putting his leg down, the rules state that you can give that as a red card for endangering the safety of a, a, an opponent. And the referee has to be judged by the rules of the game, not what we think the rules should be. I do think that there was an opportunity there because I think that's a careless act, not a one of serious violent conduct, or I don't think it was done with huge force. I think there was an option to give a yellow card rather than a red in those circumstances, personally. But I can understand that that's not going to get overturned. And I can also understand why the referee's done it because they're, in Europe, they are prescriptive. It, they, it is, they, this is what happens. If you were to Spain, Scott's done Spanish football like I have for a very long time. In Spain, if you sneeze in the wrong direction, red card. That is it. That is what it's like. I mean, the statistics are better this year than last year, right? But, this, uh, uh, but last year, I think we had something like nine times fewer red cards than they did in Spain. In Spain, basically, someone got sent off every single game. It, it's absolutely crackers. That is that is what it's like. So, yeah, I, I think you should be aware of that before you go into European competition. And that's the only thing I'll say about it because the rules are slightly different. I've moaned about this before. They should come close together. The rules are slightly different in Europe. Uh, right, uh, let's get on to this weekend's Premier League action, kicking things off on Saturday lunchtime at Molyneux. who can burst into the area, left foot shot, brilliant finish from Wang Hee Chan, he is a star of Bologna, it's Son from a tight angle and it is a majestic finish, 1-1 as Son capitalises on an epic defensive error. This group of players have already shown there's character and personality within them that, you know, whatever the challenges may be, we'll, we'll strive to overcome them. Martinelli is running clear, he's through the middle, he draws the goalkeeper, goes round him and pops it into an empty net. Arsenal score a terrific counter-attacking goal. We have to build a lot of things that we did right against Newcastle, improve certain things, especially in the final third, to be more a threat. Burnley coming forward, great try! Oh, what a goal! Oh, what a goal by Jakob Brunlarsson! Scott, Tottenham haven't won at Wolves for two years. They've got injuries and suspensions galore. And it might see that streak continue. Uh, where, where are you on Monday night's performance? Praising Spurs for sticking to their guns or utter stupidity for continuing to play the high line? 
No, look, I mean, I've, I, I, I worked on it for Malaysia TV and, and I basically said, look, I love what Ange is doing from a Tottenham point of view. And, and the, the atmosphere, Sam, was incredible. It really was. Um, and, the, and the fans were 100% behind him. And you can play that way, I think, if you go down to 10 men. If you, if you go down to nine men, I think there comes a point where you're saying, I know they're trying to create a culture and a, a way of playing. And and anything, let's face it, that's anti-Antonio Conte, then the Spurs fans will absolutely love it. And and I, I get it. But at the same time, going down to nine men, they were just lucky they came up. They didn't come up against a Liverpool or a City or even a Brighton because it could have been eight or nine. And then that makes even more question marks against Ange Postacoglu there. So I, I love what he's doing. It's one defeat. It's gone down to nine men. There's nothing he can do about that. But I think once you're going down to nine, not just 10, you can't be having everybody in the halfway line. It's as simple as that. Um, what I didn't get was, uh, yeah, the high line's fine. And I, I understand that. But what you just said there is really important. At least drop off five extra yards so Chelsea can't start their runs from inside their own half. Then they will never be offside no matter what you do, you're giving Chelsea the line. And I thought that was just very strange. You were sort of basically drawing a line on the, on, on the halfway line saying, yeah, you use that as your, as, as your marker. Uh, the biggest concern, I think, though, is the loss of key players. Madison injured. He's out of the England squad now and he won't be taking part uh, with Gareth Southgate. So we can assume from that that he's definitely not going to play against Wolverhampton Wanderers at the weekend. Um, a huge test without Van de Ven, who is their backstop that allows them to play that high line because he's got so much speed. And Christian Romero, who, you know, always seems to uh, get himself sent off eventually. I think it's four yellow uh, red cards in 75 appearances for Spurs. Can you play the same system then against Wolves, Crook? I don't think so, for the reasons you've, you've alluded to, because van der Ven is so crucial to that system. Presumably, Dyer comes in. You wonder if he may even be tempted by a back three because of that lack of pace. But it's a big issue for Spurs. It was always going to be a big issue for Spurs, uh, in particular if Son or Madison were unavailable for any period of time. And as you mentioned there, it's unlikely that Madison will play having pulled out the England squad. They're without three of their first choice back four. And this is a tough game. You know, you look at Wolves' record this season, particularly against the, the so-called big six. They should have beaten Manchester United. They led against Liverpool. They did beat Manchester City. Then you look at... The fact Newcastle and Villa have had problems against them as well. I don't think Tottenham will win this game. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they react to their first major setback of the Postacoglu era. I thought he was naive, Postacoglu, with the way that he set his team up. And I thought he was naive not to take off Udogi at half-time as well. Sam, I don't see how he can't play the same philosophy. If he's going after the game, well, this is how we are. This is what we do. If we're down to five, we're still going to play this same way. Then surely he's got to do the same against Wolves. And... With the greatest respect to Eric Dyer, I thought actually did okay when he came on his first minutes on the pitch. I mean, the Wolves players would be thinking, yes, please, bring it on, because they just haven't got the pace of uh, Van der Ven and Romero as well. Uh, the only problem is is that uh, Wolves are about as good as converting chances as Chelsea are, aren't they? Um, so, so it might be a time before they make the breakthrough. Um, for all the plaudits that we've given uh, Gary O'Neill, just two clean sheets in 13 in all competitions this season. Although this looks like a big opportunity for them, are we expecting a bit of a shootout, really? I mean, you mentioned the high line there. And, and I'm not sure that actually favours Wolverhampton Wanderers. Crook? Well, not without Neto, you know, because obviously he's been so important and, and he would be crucial to 
exploiting that newfound lack of pace in the, in the Tottenham back line without Van der Ven. So I don't know if I am expecting a shootout, actually. I think I think it might be quite a low-scoring affair. I know you've mentioned Wolves' lack of clean sheets there and obviously Tottenham defensively very devoid heading into the weekend. But I think O'Neill will will come up with a game plan to, to keep it relatively tight to try and stop the service in, in towards Son. I, I can see a, a 1-1 draw in this game. Something of that ilk. I've gone 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Gary O'Neill, um, the job he's done in tough circumstances, deserves credit. But how much credit does he deserve, Scott, for not having a Mikel Arteta-style meltdown <laughs> given the decisions that has gone against his team? I mean, he has basically said it's a disgrace. He, he, but he said it. He just said, I'm not talking to them anymore. And that's it. Yeah. I think he's handled it in a better way than Arteta, a, a classier way. I understand what Arteta's trying to do. He's almost trying to create a... Sir Alex Ferguson and, and and intimidate and intimidate not just for the here and now but for the future of referees coming to you know or playing against Arsenal. But I think I think Gary is a very clever man. He's very intelligent. He's a very good coach. He knows there's no point in in doing certain rants. The, the big clubs, whether it's a psychological thing or what, I and mean, I definitely think it's subconscious with referees. You know, the big clubs do get the the, the, the decisions more off more than the, the smaller clubs. So he's got to do what he's got to do. And um, yeah, absolutely. He could have ranted a lot more of what's happened so far this season, but he hasn't. And he's done really well. And you know what? He's won over a lot of the people, especially the Wolves fans, who weren't having him at the start of the season. So fair play to him for that. It's interesting because I was with, um, I've spoken to so many club officials this week and I've everyone's talking about the Arteta thing and whether it was the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, whether it, that everyone's just got to the point where they've had enough now. And I think the Arsenal statement... Liverpool's reaction to stuff over the last few weeks as well. I think the players themselves have got to the point where they have had enough of it. You know, they are urging the clubs to make these statements. They are urging the clubs to do more to protest. Now, a lot of clubs are trying to sort of placate that and keep that a lid on that. But I think we're at a, a boiling point where the players themselves are getting frustrated to a level where... If something doesn't sort out, then I, I do think you're going to get a stronger statement from the, the PFA. The LMA have done one, haven't they, in the last um, few few days. They're, they're trying to mitigate against it as well. They're trying to, to encourage some sort of resolution here. But it is spoiling the game. And, and I was with Guy Mowbray uh, doing some European stuff this week, and we were just chatting, and it said it's becoming a bit boring just talking about bloody rules all the time. You know, it's just... it's it's. It's not that interesting. I mean, the Marcus Rashford thing, okay, you, well, none of us like the idea of it. None of us like the handballs. Totally get all of the, the protests. But we have to try and explain why those decisions are made. And that's really dull. It is dull. Like, doing it from our point of view. From my point of view as a commentator, I want to comment on goals, right? I don't want to commentate on why a referee has produced a red card or why a referee has has made a decision to rule out a goal or... or, uh, or or, or given a handball. And I was there on Monday night, spent five minutes, 37 seconds discussing a, a trio of decisions. That It is boring. It's boring. Stop it. Anyway, move on. Uh, talking of boring, Manchester United against uh, Luton on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. It's boring getting talking about Manchester United meltdowns, isn't it? Because after a rare win against uh, Fulham, and although that was pretty fortunate, let's be honest, Fulham handed it to them right at the end with terrible uh, defending. It was business as usual in the Champions League. They played well for 40 minutes, did well, had a player sent off, were 2-0 up, 3-2 up, but still didn't win. Does the fact that they failed to see it 
through underscore their lack of character, Crook. Because in those circumstances, you're in the Champions League, you're 2-0 and 3-2 up, forget the decision. You've got to manage your emotions and the game, haven't you? I actually felt like they showed a little bit more character in that game than they have done for much of the season. I think what it does display is a lack of ability. You know, you look at the way that Dallow defends or doesn't defend the cross into the box for the equaliser and, and therein lies the problem. Why on earth they decided to give that particular player a new long-term contract is beyond me because he's simply not good enough. He's proven time and again this season that he's not good enough. So when Sir Jim Ratcliffe comes in and I'm being told that there's a possibility and that could all be Monday, confirmed by next Monday. week. It's not going to be Monday um, towards the end of the week, I think, if it, if it indeed it is confirmed next week. But he's got a massive job on his hands. And again, it goes deeper than the manager. It's easy to come in and say, well, he needs to get rid of Eric Ten Hag. How, how does he get rid of all the players who, who have underperformed for so long now? You've got people like Anthony Martial, whose contract is coming to an end. And there was a debate about whether they should renew that in order to protect his value. Just get rid of him. Just get rid of the flops and, and absolutely start again. <laughs> absolutely um, I start, mean, start from the bottom. I mean, first of all, that's a wider debate. But the game itself, and that's what we were talking about, and well done for taking the heat off of Eric Ten Hag there. Uh, mm. But uh, this was Copenhagen and not Bayern Munich, Scott. Um, and also, why did he take off Rasmus Hoyland just before the end? It meant that Manchester United had no outball and ended up having so much um, pressure to deal with because there was no way of getting out of it. Yeah, look, I worked in the game and I thought from this very start, United were very good. They were in control up until the Marcus Rashford sending off. And then obviously they conceded two goals just before half-time. I mean, Crookie's right. and it, Darlow's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basic fullback thing when the cross of the ball's on one side, you make sure you see where your man is at all times. And you turn your head a lot. And, and he didn't. And from then on, it was like, well, just find a way to draw. So it's find a way to win. Now find a way to draw. And look, the reason why he took him off was because he wanted to get an extra man in midfield. It does put pressure on it. And it's one of those, Sam, if it works, people don't criticise. And they say that was a good substitution. If it doesn't and the individuals on the pitch make mistakes, which is what happened, then he, he gets stick for it. I don't think, I don't criticise him a lot for, for what happened. I, but the bottom line is, this is one game out of what's been a really poor this poor season. And there's every chance, not only they won't qualify for the Europa League, but they'll finish bottom of the group at the moment. Absolutely. And uh, let's just remind you, that it was Copenhagen. Again, it wasn't as if they were playing an incredibly good world-beating side. Um, but I understand that... Changing Eric Ten Hag at this stage does not make any sense to me because of the way that they've invested in his recruitment. He's got to be given the chance now to give get the, the best out of these players. Otherwise, Manchester United are going to be in serious trouble trying to replace them. Not possible. So they might as well continue down this, this route. It's going to take some time and Manchester United fans are just going to have to get used to it. They've got Luton at the weekend. Not always um, as obvious a result as you might think on paper and Liverpool will tell you that they've won just twice this season but they've shown some real fight they've scored in eight of their 11 league matches despite a lack of quality is that enough to get them something here Crook? No I don't think so um, I think I'll take the positives out of midweek and, and I think if United play as well as they did in that first 40 minutes they'll, they'll have more than enough to beat Luton I think it was good to see Rasmus Hoyland get himself a couple of goals. And I think this could be the weekend where he breaks his 
Premier League drought. I think they've got a lot of spirit, Luton. I really like the manager. I think they've got an identity. They've got a game plan as to how they might stay in the Premier League. And I think of the three newly promoted teams, they've got the best chance of doing so. But I think United have to win this game. Otherwise, the pressure is right on Eric Ten Hag heading into an international break. OK, uh, let's look at some of Saturday's other action now. Let's start at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal against Burnley. Comfortable evening in midweek for Arsenal. I mean, it does ask the question. Arteta said that Saka's going to be OK and it was just a kick um, and he wasn't comfortable to carry on, but he should be OK this weekend. Should Arteta have taken him off, Scott, before then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had this discussion for a long time and I know a few Arsenal fans who are ex-players and they're saying they don't understand why he's played on. I mean, it goes to show he's so important to the team. And I think after the game with Mikel Arteta going from a rant to almost laughing, I think he knows deep down he's got to be careful because if if Saka has a long-term injury, then as good as Arsenal are and as good players as they've got, no one can quite replace him. He um he, he sort of said he's got to get used to it, <laughs> which is what he said actually last year when we were at Aston Villa and he got kicked out of that game for large parts of it. Um, he said, well, you know, if you're one of the best players in the league, you're going to get attention. Um, but I mean, is there is there a job of referee? I mean, referees quite in Europe, especially quite happy to give uh, red cards, yellow cards, um, penalties, handballs for the most spurious of offences. Surely protecting the players is supposed to be the aim. So did he deserve more protection? Yeah, he did. I mean, Sevilla definitely targeted him. There were three or four big tackles on him in in the first half that that could have been punished by way of yellow cards. And Actually, I remember speaking to Saka at Villa Park during lockdown and he was bemoaning then the lack of protection from uh, officials. And I think it is a major issue because he's such a talent not just for Arsenal, but for England as well. And I think we do need to protect him. But then Arteta needs to protect him as well. We were baffled, Adrian Durham and myself, watching that game um, because he took off Leandro Trossard and didn't take off Bukayo Saka. Why are you protecting Trossard ahead of the game against Burnley? You're not protecting your best player. It is odd that the fact that he he just wants him to play every minute, seemingly. Crooker, for all the headlines that... Uh post that Newcastle defeat, it has masked that Arsenal were a bit below par. They haven't looked as good this season, apart from in those home Champions League games. Yeah, and I've been at both of those. And I've got to say, PSV Eindhoven and Sevilla were both utterly abject. Um, Take nothing away from Arsenal. You can only beat what's in front of you. But I think that says more about the opposition than Arsenal. You're right, they're not quite as free-flowing as they were last season. I think a lot of the new signings are... Are still to adapt. Obviously, they lost Timber to injury. Havertz missed an absolute sitter inside a minute in midweek. He looks totally devoid of confidence. But I think this is a good game for Arsenal because we know the way that, that, that Burnley are going to play. Vincent Company isn't coming away from the style that saw them have such success in the Championship. And I think if they play that way again, Martinelli, who was excellent in midweek, Saka, if he's fit, they're going to have a field day against that Burnley back line. So I think this will be a comfortable win for the Gunners. Trossard played through the middle in midweek. Um, what does he give you? I mean, Enketia's had a bit of a, an injury problem. What, what, what does he give you that's different? Well, I think he's not your ideal number one, number nine, to be totally honest with you. You know, you you want your Jesus or maybe even Enketia as well. I think Enketia's approved a lot. I don't think he's going to be your player to take you to a, an Arsenal Premier League title. But for Trossard... You know, he's a wide player who can be very clever. He's quick. He can go in behind and use his pace. He's also got a very good touch. He's football intelligent. 
so he can play that job, he, play that role. But you know, I wouldn't want him playing there for for ten, fifteen games. He can he can dip in and dip out if need be, and and obviously he, he did do midweek as well. And the scores that they probably need to fill that position sooner rather than later. Burnley have been disappointing. Here's their manager, Vincent Company. He's got a message for the fans. You forget we live in a place that if I draw back on the last 10 years, there's plenty of people in the building who can draw up on a lot of experiences. Um, and it's a very calm place. And it, it is what it is. Like, I'm not, I'm not even overstating it. It's... Um, calm but hard-working place there is nobody that that um that accepts the situation but there's also a very um just a very dedicated group of people that do everything they can for the club and um yeah i, I couldn't state it more is he too calm crook um potentially because i think they're in big trouble burnley uh you, you look at the number of goals they can see the number of chances they give up Obviously, I've lost Lyle Foster uh, for a while now, and, and we wish him all the best. Um, I thought it was a strong statement that Burnley put out on on Thursday afternoon. But uh, I've mentioned before, he's so wedded to this style of play, Vincent Company, it isn't going to bring them success in the Premier League. And I'm a little bit surprised that more has not been made about that. Obviously, he's got credit in the bank from what he did last season, but he's not acclimatised and adapted to being a Premier League manager. And is that sort of admirable that you want to play a certain system and you have a philosophy and you want to stick to it, Scott, or is it negligent? I mean, because Burnley were in a bit of a financial issue when they went down to the the championship. They restructured well and they came back up at the first attempt. But there is a chance to stay in this league, right? Because Mm. it's not a given that they just automatically drop. Should they be adapting the way they are fighting to do so? Well, look, at the, the very start of the season, none of us had Burnley in the bottom three. In fact, I'm not even sure we mentioned them, do we? So it's been a really poor start to the season. You know, you, you've only won one game. That was that was against Luton. You're conceding 27 goals. And, and you're sort of thinking, although you don't know now, that Luton and Sheffield United are going to be the guaranteed two. So you only avoid one place. And yet they're looking, perhaps along with Bournemouth, as, as you know, the real danger for it. Look, it's all very well having the philosophy and I love all that. I love the fact that they want to play a certain way. I love watching the Pep Guardiola way, the Ange Postacoglu way, the, the Vincent Company way. But ultimately, it's all about winning. And if you don't win games, you build so much pressure as the season goes on. And, and Crookie's right. There's not much has been said, but it will be as the season goes on. And the pressure will build and it will be even harder for those players, especially when they're under pressure, to play that style of football. So I think it should be tweaked. I don't think it will be. Uh, Bournemouth against Newcastle, talking of teams that need to win games. Bournemouth is certainly one of those. A return to the South Coast for Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall. And they would have expected to have a fruitful return if it wasn't for the injuries and suspensions too. And there's a key one because Bruno Guimaraes is suspended this weekend. And since his debut, Scott, um, that he made in the 8th of February 2022, they haven't won a league game without him. Is that a coincidence or does he bring something that they can't replicate? Well, I mean, that, that's that's an amazing stat, isn't it? I mean, he has been fantastic. I think it shows that he's been a massive part of what Newcastle have done from relegation candidates to to playing in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the two have got to be intrinsically linked and show that how important he is. And I think that the fact that he he helps out, he positions himself so well defensively in front of the back four, but then starts attacks and, and can create stuff as well. 
I think he's one of the key players for Newcastle. It's a surprising stat, but it does go to show how important he is. Uh, Newcastle have only won one of their uh, away games this season in the Premier League, and that's a surprising stat as well. It was against Sheffield United, and they did it quite well. They probably scored enough away goals in that particular game to win quite a few. Uh, but there is a danger they could end up finishing bottom of their Champions League group, despite what was a really good start. Paris Saint-Germain are their next opponents on the I think the 28th of uh, November, something like that. And and at the moment, we're sort of looking to go to that game. And I'm very excited about the possibility of it. Um, If they don't win that match and they end up finishing bottom, is it better to finish bottom and go out of the Champions League or or finish third and play Europa League football? What what do you make of, of that, Crook? I think there's an argument for both. Uh, I've heard a lot of Manchester United fans. Andy Goldstein said it on uh, on Thursday that he'd rather finish bottom of the group than qualify for the Europa League. Uh, I think when it comes to squad depth, perhaps Eddie Howe could do without the added complications of playing on a Thursday night. However, there is a big carrot, isn't there? If you win the Europa League, A, it's a European trophy, and B, you get a direct entry into the Champions League. So I, I think Eddie Howe will be thinking about that, and I think he'll be desperate for Newcastle to be playing some kind of European football come the new year. I also think those days have gone, Scott, aren't they? Where people think, oh, Thursday night's Europa League. We don't want to be involved in that. I think it's a completely different mindset now. I think people want to be involved in European football because it's such a competitive Premier League. There's only three trophies domestically to fight for at the beginning of a season. To be involved in a European one is, is the prize, isn't it? I mean, so... Why would you want to turn down that experience? I think you should be fighting to stay in those competitions to the very end. That's your measure, isn't it? Do you know, it's a really interesting one because I think Manchester United, look, they're not the Manchester United of old, quite clearly, but Manchester United need to be in European competition. So even if they finish third in the group, I'd take third if I was a United fan than fourth because they, they have to be in Europe. I think with Newcastle, just because they're so far ahead of schedule, there is an argument with the amount of injuries, the lack of squad, they're always going to struggle to compare or combine Premier League and Champions League that they would want almost a free run to try and get back into the top four. But as Cricky says, win the Europa League and you're in the, the Champions League for next season anyway. So it's a real balance for Newcastle. There's no doubt about it. It's affecting their league form. It's affecting their injuries. But for Manchester United... They have to be in Europe and winning the Europa League if they do fall out of the Champions League. Tino Livramento continues to impress. Most impressive is how he's returned from his ACL injury. But I think he was better at right back in midweek than he was when he started at right wing. Uh, Bournemouth thrashed last time out by Manchester City and that was after their win against Burnley. Is it almost a bit like they're back at square one again now, Crook? Because that was it was quite a chastening defeat up at, um, uh, at Manchester City and not even Haaland scored. Yeah, but Man City are capable of doing that to any team. So I, I'm not necessarily sure it's, it's back to square one. But this feels like a, another significant game for Andoni Iraola because obviously the start of the season has not gone as he would have hoped. We've mentioned Newcastle's absentees. Will Callum Wilson be fit after coming off in midweek? Will Anthony Gordon, if he isn't, perhaps playing that false number nine role? So I think this is an opportunity. But they've got to make themselves harder to beat Bournemouth. I think it was the nature of the defeat and the goals they conceded against Man City as opposed to the fact they lost the game because they were always going to lose the game. But 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 they need to find a way to be more defensively resolute as well. OK, what's everyone doing on Sunday? What's everyone doing Sunday? Scott, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Ooh. Um, the answer is glued to your radio listening to the Sunday session. That's what I'm going to be. Yeah, I thought you would be. 100%. Crookie, where are you going to be? 100%. I'm going to be next to you at Stamford Bridge watching you squirm. 
I can't wait. On Sunday, a huge game. Chelsea host the champions. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Oh, yes, it's Chelsea against Manchester City and Crook and I will be there as part of the Sunday session this weekend. We can't wait for it. It's going to be great. Chelsea beat Spurs 4-1 on Monday. They're back. Nicholas Jackson scoring a hat-trick. He's terrific. Ballon d'Or incoming, Scott. Um, What can they take from from that game against Spurs? Because uh, let's be completely honest and forget the facetiousness. Um, They they probably, probably should have Spurs to bed a little bit earlier than that. Yes, you were being very facetious there, Sam. Um, no, you're right. And, and actually, I think it was one of Chelsea's worst performances of the season. I, I, I thought they weren't football intelligent about what they needed to do. And as I said earlier, you know, if it was City or, or Liverpool, then they would have put eight or nine past Spurs. Look, there's a lot of confidence to take from, from what happened, though. And, you know, whatever you say about Nicholas Jackson... You know, I, I'm just trying to look at the positives. Is he world-class? No. Is he the finished article? No. Would I go for Ivan Tony in, in January? Absolutely. But I, And it's it's not for me about the misses. It's about the goals that he scores. And give me a striker that puts himself for 10 chances a game and scores two rather than one that just has one chance a game. And he will learn. And if, I'm sure there's no doubt about it. People sit down with him, video analysis. will make sure that he, you know, can be a little bit clever in his runs. But I think there's a lot to take out of out of that particular game. The problem is you're facing the best team in the world. And then you've got Newcastle away as well. Yeah, Scott's a humanitarian, isn't he? He he, he loves <laughs> he loves the sort of he, he he loves the players that sort of, you know, they show both sides. That the ability to get into these great positions, the odd great goal, and then the, you know, the plethora of miss, misses, which is why he loves Darwin Nunez and why he loves Nicholas Jackson. He just he, you know, you like to see both sides of the coin, don't you? Do you know what, Sam? I, I see the potential and I'm desperate for them to do well. They will. They will. They Listen, they're going to be great. Both of them are going to be great. You might have to wait a couple of years, but they're going to, they're going to be great. 
Well, we'll, we'll see. The bottom line is, all I know is I wouldn't want to be coming up against them. <laughs> uh, one player is actually very good. He's Cole Palmer, and he'll be fired up to play against his old side, won't he, Crook? Yeah, he will. I, I'm just chuckling because uh, producer Jeremy has really gone into Scott in this <laughs> in this script. As you said, his line, as you've already said, is one player who is actually, and he's actually in bold good, is, is Cole Palmer. Before that, he says that uh, Scott is president of the Darwin Nunez fan club, the CEO of the Nicholas Jackson fan club, hat-trick last time against Tottenham, but is he really any good? So I think Jeremy's got his got his pencil out for you, and he's, he's fully sharpened, Scott. Um, yeah, Cole Palmer, I you think. Have, you have to edit um, the running order with Jeremy, because he, he, he literally just starts with and ends with barbs. We're calling him Jezza Clickbait at, at this moment in time. So I have to go through it every, every morning it, it, just, just to take it, out all of the little it, the little fishing expeditions. He claims, he claims he's not on social media, but I think he reflects social media perfectly. He's just an angry uh, Leeds fan. You know, he's, he's still angry they sacked Bielsa and they're, they're rotting away in the championship. Well, so he takes he's still, it out. He's still out what he's really angry about is that Frank Lampard called out Marcelo Bielsa's spying. That's what he's really angry about. <laughs> Which is also why he, in turn, hates Frank Lampard. But back to Cole Palmer, I think he's been an excellent addition, not just in terms of his football skills, but I think his mentality is brilliant. Um, and I think if they are going to get any joy, Chelsea, then he's going to be central to it. And he's the type of character, isn't he, who's going to want to prove a point against Manchester City. So I'm looking forward to this game. I think City will edge it, but I do think Chelsea come into it in a much better place than they were a few weeks ago. Well, do you know what? I think yeah. Chelsea are going to get something from the game, Scott. And this is why. Do you want to know why? This is why. Um, Chelsea have lost all of their past four Premier League games against Manchester City by one goal to nil. That's four in a row by the same scoreline. But they haven't lost five consecutive league games against an opponent in the Premier League since they lost a run of seven against Blackburn between 1993 and 1996. And City have lost three of their last six away games. So Chelsea... Just, these things don't happen. Chelsea don't lose five in a row against one particular team. I, I, that was I before think Chelsea were really good, wasn't it? That, that, that run of games. That was when they had people like Scott Minto in, in their back line. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they're back to that right now. That's the problem. And, you know, those kind of lines, Stan, you know, Chelsea a few years ago were, were fighting for Premier League titles. Now they're, they're fighting to finish in the top half, aren't they? Scott, don't ruin it for me. Um, Jeremy Doku, um, playing very, very well. Jack Grealish, given the nod in midweek. Um, I think that probably means that we'll see Doku at the weekend. Um, so which fullback will be quaking in their boots? Will Reese James end up having to try and deal with him or will it be something that is shifted out to Levi Colwell? Either way, that's going to be a real test, isn't it, for both those two? Yeah, especially for Reese James. When you look at how much football that he's missed, you know, is he... Is he yet up to full speed? He's going to have to be up to full speed if if they do unleash Doku, and it'd be very harsh, even you know if we're playing Pep Guardiola roulette to drop Doku after what he did last weekend. I think both wide players, both fullbacks, sorry, are going to have to play well for Chelsea to get anything from the game. And then there's the small issue of Bernardo Silva, who I think is playing absolutely sensationally at this moment in time. Absolutely. Um, Rich James didn't decide to go away with England because he wasn't ready, Scott. Is that prudent behaviour or has he put himself in a bit of bother with um, England going forward? I think it depends on what's gone on behind the scenes. If he hasn't spoken to Gareth, which clearly it seems like he hadn't, and then he said, oh, by the way, no, because why would you? I would have just thought well, there would be a conversation there in the first place. 
Look, I understand. We you, you asked me, was it last week or the week before? Are you worried about Reese James sort of long term and, and fitness? There's clearly a worry there. And I think this is a good opportunity for him to build up his fitness. But for it to be him to be called up, backing out, we know Gareth is not really someone who who likes people who are not 100% all in. I think there's a slight worry there. And we've also spoken about how deep that sort of right back area is. So, yeah, it's slightly concerning for him. Yeah, OK. Raheem Sterling left out of the squad as well for a fifth time in a row. Uh, Gareth Southgate says the door is not shut, though. But he also then went on to say that he doesn't think his squad is going to change too much between now and the European Championships. And I think, you know, it's, let's be clear, um, it, it looks as if he, it's going to be a hard task for him to force his way in. Um, Stones is out, big injury concern for them. Uh, but um, listen, Manchester City will be pretty confident of getting something ahead of the international break. I think Chelsea will pick up a draw. I'm sure you two are going to tell me that that's not going to be the case, but I don't want to hear your cynicism. Um, right. OK, uh, Crook, you're with me on Sunday for the Sunday session. Looking forward to that. Wolves Tottenham before that is 12.30 on Saturday. Part of a brilliant menu on Saturday on TalkSport. Sunderland Birmingham is available on TalkSport 2. Game Day Live, Arsenal Burnley as well is available on TalkSport 2. And then we've got the games in the Premier League, the WSL, uh, including Villa versus uh, Fulham and Liverpool versus Brighton. Manchester City away at Chelsea is our main feature. And we are there from 1.30. Crook and I live on TalkSport. Back on uh, Sunday night and Monday morning when you wake up to give you a review of all the weekends. So make sure you tune in to Premier League All Access from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.